All right, good morning. Love for you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And uh, we have in these next two weeks, I get to be with you this week and next week, we're going to be wrapping up 1 Thessalonians 5. Some of you thought, well, are we going to do 2 Thessalonians next, uh, next semester? No, we have something else planned next semester. 2 Thessalonians, we're going to wrap that up before Christmas because it's only a few chapters. Uh, so we're going to be hitting both of those. Uh, 1 Thessalonians uh, 5, verses 1 through 11 this morning. I was noticing, and, and, I'm, and I'm very thankful, even though I'm a Florida fan, I'm very thankful that uh, those of you who love Tennessee, you just look like different men. You really do. <laughs> it's been a long, dark season, and you just, you know, I watched Coakley walk in, and I don't know if I've seen Coakley have that kind of spring to step in a decade, and I'm, and I'm grateful that the Lord has allowed you this, uh, this, t- this season, this season of joy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it may be brief, but live it while you can. Um, so as you uh, can see from your notes and you can uh, tell from the, the hymn that we sang, we're going to be talking about going, uh, continuing the, the the part that George spoke on last week, we're going to be talking about the imminent return of Christ. Now, I grew up, I'm, I'm, I'm old enough to have grown up in the, uh, the era when Hal Lindsey's book, The Late Great Planet Earth, was, uh, was the hot thing. 28 million copies sold of that book. Um, how many of you remember uh, that book? For those of you, yeah, a lot of you. For those of you that were young, you're younger in here and you're thinking, I don't know. It's like Left Behind for us old guys, right? Like it's the Left Behind series, but it's the old guy. 28 million copies of this book was sold in the 70s about the rapture. And then out of that came this, uh, and I was uh, in my teen years there in the late 70s. And I remember there was this movie that our youth pastor used to show. And um, it was based on this book, the the. The movie was called A Thief in the Night. It was one of the most terrifying movies you've ever seen. should not be shown at a youth group function at all. It was about the rapture happening, and, then, and mostly it was just about the tribulation and how miserable it would be if you were, if you were left behind. Um, has any, do any of you remember? The, did you ever see the movie Thief in the Night? Anyone here? That was only my Baptist upbringing, I guess, that brought that, brought that to me. Oh, there's a, there, yeah, there's, a, there's a guy back there. I'm sorry. I, I, I should have asked, how many of you got saved at least three or four times watching Thief in the Night? Um, because it was a, it was a terrifying thing uh, to, to think about. And then, of course, the Left Behind series came. And, you know, I remember when I was in high school uh, and, and in, even into college, there did seem to be a lot more interest or fascination with the return of Christ. And I've wondered in recent years... Um, why that seems to have waned. Not that, I'm, not that I'm wanting more Left Behind series or more books like The Late Great Planet Earth. I think what, um, what both of those uh, things did is kind of go against Scripture in many ways. Um, and it was not necessarily helpful um, in how they presented their eschatology. But it is curious to me that it seems like in, in, in recent years, in the last five, ten years, that there doesn't seem to be as much interest or talk among believers in regards to the return of Christ. And yet when you look at the New Testament, um, it's, it's like, I think the, the stat is like every one in, in 15 verses in the New Testament uh, references the return of Christ. Jesus talked constantly about his return. Um, 
there's, uh, I can't remember what the, the figure is of how many verses in the New Testament. It's like, you know, 389 verses that are specifically about the return of Christ. And you remember the story that George told last uh, week at the very end, the, very, the final illustration about that home for special needs uh, people and uh, how they were told that when Christ returned that their bodies would be made whole and how the, the manager or the, the director of, of that home said that our biggest uh, problem here, um, biggest maintenance problem is smudgy windows on the east side of, of, this, of this home because the people here are always pressing their faces and their hands up against the window and, and looking to see, is Christ going to return? That's where we find the Thessalonians. Clearly, they have um, a deep interest in when Christ is going to return. They have a, a lot of questions that Paul is answering about Christ's return. And not only are we going to see it here, but we're going to see it in 2 Thessalonians as well. They, they really want to know. They have a lot of questions. Uh, some of them are good and helpful, and some of them we'll see here maybe aren't so helpful. Let me begin reading beginning in chapter 5, verse 1 through verse 11. Paul writes this, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You see there um, in your notes, um, we're going to have four points. Uh, I sent three different outlines to my assistant Suzanne, who's recovering from COVID, so she was at home, and unfortunately, she didn't leave there a space uh, for the scriptural introduction, because there is something that I think is important for us to understand as far as a context for the return of Christ. Um, but I want to say this first. Um, this passage of scripture actually is very uh, special to me, and I imagine it will be the, the rest of my life, because it was a year ago this month that um, I preached on these verses just three days after my, my mother had passed away. And uh, a lot of people weren't there uh, in the service because it was fall break. Um, and I didn't choose it because my mother had died. I had already chosen this passage because of the series we were doing on Revelation. Um, but it is a joy for me to be able to, to teach this again and frankly to be in a context where we can dig a little deeper. 
So I want us to understand the context of Christ's return and how we understand it uh, theologically. Three things that are important for us to know uh, that we believe and affirm about Christ's return. The nature of the second coming of Christ is visible, imminent, and final. That's what the Bible teaches. The second coming of Christ will be visible, it's imminent, and it's final. Let's unpack that for a second. Visible. This isn't going to be a secret. So in, in, in years and decades and centuries past, uh, people have proclaimed, oh, Christ, Christ has come and we know where he is and we, this is the Christ. No, it's going to, the Bible makes it clear. The world is going to know. It's going to be public. It's going to be clear um, when Christ returns. Visibly and publicly, Christ will return. Matthew 24, verse 27, Revelation 1, verse 7, make that very clear. Uh, it's going to be a, a visible and clear return. There's not going to be secret about it. Everyone in the world will know that Christ has returned. His return is going to be imminent. Uh, that means this. That means that it's near. That means it's going to happen quickly. But we don't know exactly when it's going to happen. Right? So we're, we're, not, we're going to be surprised in the sense that we're not going to know the times. Now, imminent doesn't mean that it could happen at any moment. Let me unpack that for a second. And then it doesn't mean that it could happen any moment. So maybe you could say, well, why, Todd, do you sometimes say Christ might return today? How can you say that when we would say that imminent doesn't mean any moment? It means it's near. It means it's going to happen quickly and suddenly. Um, but why is that? Well, because in Scripture, it's clear, and we'll even see this next a few weeks in 2 Thessalonians, that God's Word makes it clear there's certain things that have to happen until Christ's return. Now, a lot of them have already happened. For instance, the destruction of Jerusalem has already happened. That would happen in 70 A.D. So there's a lot of things that have already taken place. But, of course, um, it, it seems like, or we're not sure, you know, the, the man of lawlessness has to be revealed. We'll talk about that in a few weeks in, in 2 Thessalonians. Now, we're not sure if we're going to be clear. Maybe the man of lawlessness has already been revealed. Um, <laughs> I, I tell you... My, my 1985 self and my 1985 friends, um, we would be going crazy with all this, you know, Putin, Ukraine stuff. We would be playing to be all scheming. This is the bear coming out of the north, joining with Iran. And, you know, I'm, not, I'm surprised somebody hasn't, hasn't gone crazy. Maybe it's because we did that in the past and, it, and then Jesus didn't come back. So whatever the, whatever the case is, there are some things that Scripture makes clear have to happen. Now, will we be able to know and determine that that has happened? Uh, we're not sure of that. So I think it is, it, it, it's okay to say Christ might return today. Um, but it's imminent doesn't necessarily mean any moment. It does mean, it does mean that, it's, that it's near. And then thirdly, that it's final. Visible, imminent, and final. His return, when he returns, that's it. He's returning for victory and judgment. There's no opportunity to, to respond to Christ after that moment. Now, Philippians chapter 2 makes it clear that when, that when he returns, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth. Some, those who are his, will bow with great rejoicing and great victory that Christ has returned. Some who do not know Christ, who rejected Christ, will bow in sheer terror. But Philippians makes it clear when Christ returns, every knee will bow. Amen. It will be final. His return 
will be visible, imminent, and final. So now, let's dive into this passage, looking at, first of all, these questions that I put for you. When? When is it going to happen? That's what, these, that's what these Thessalonians want to know. What's the timing of this? When's it going to happen? And Paul seems to be reminding them in these verses, verses 1 and 2, that he's already, he's already made it clear. He's already taught about these things. Hey, I spent just three or four weeks with you, but certainly in those three or four weeks, uh, he would have talked about the return of Christ. And clearly he did because they have interest in this. And, and he says, I don't, have any, I don't have any need to remind you. And then he turns around and reminds them. He's like, but let's, let's just make this clear. We don't, we don't know the times and seasons. And it seems that the Thessalonians, those, those Christians, were thinking what a lot of Christians have thought, what a lot of people have thought. Gosh, if I could, if I could just know the time, then I'll make sure that I'm ready. Then I'll make sure that I'm not doing something I shouldn't be doing when Jesus returns. If I could, if I could just be aware, maybe I could hang on. If I could, just, if I could just know that, maybe we'll be ready for these things. And that has been a fascination, as you all know, for people for ever since, ever since Christ ascended into heaven. Uh, certainly all the way back here to Thessalonians. Um, some of you remember, may remember me talking about this a year ago. Uh, I was a young youth pastor in Rock Hill, South Carolina. I went into this bookstore to, to pick up something. And when I got to the counter, um, and it was, it was in 1988, I got to the counter and there's this little display on the counter. And there's this little, little book about this big. And it was uh, 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Happen in 1988. And apparently it sold really, really well. And I picked it up and looked at it, and, and I knew enough of my Bible to know, well, that's, that's, it's, that's not possible to know this. That's sad and humorous and all that. Um, of course, that didn't happen. Do you know, you know what, what happened the next year? This, this is for real. The guy wrote a book, 89 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Happen in 1989. I don't know if that one sold, uh, sold as well. Some of you may be familiar with the... With the uh, uh, the, the, the radio guy, the Christian radio guy, um, Harold Camping, um, he made a big, big push that the rapture, that Christ's return was going to happen in 1994. That didn't happen. He made another big push for 2011 that actually had a, a big impact on a lot of people who, who thought this is really going to happen. Um, of course, that didn't happen. Um, but, you know, there's, there's predictions every, every year. You know, in fact, I checked it. There's a prediction uh, for 2023. There's a prediction for 2025. So, you know, you can catch whatever train you want to catch. Um, but clearly here, we see we're not going to know the times and seasons. In fact, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 24. At the beginning of Matthew chapter 24... Verse 3, it says that his disciples, they were on the Mount of Olives, his disciples came to Jesus privately and said, tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Like, when's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? And Jesus goes through, talks about the signs. Of, and then look what it says on verse 36. This is Jesus speaking. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Two, and two men will be in the field, one will be taken, one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken, one will be left. Therefore, stay awake. 
for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. Jesus said, the angels don't know. Jesus said, I don't know. Only the Father knows. Now some of you are thinking right now, well, wait a second. The Father, Son, Holy Ghost, Trinity, they're together. How is it that the Son doesn't know, but the Father does know? I don't know. <laughs> I don't think anybody does. But that's what Jesus makes clear. Only the Father knows these times. So, what Paul is saying is just, is just an understanding of what Jesus already said. He's saying to the Thessalonians, you're not going to know. You're not going to know about that. And he gives two illustrations. One that was given by Jesus himself. Um, first, a thief in the night, and second, labor pains upon a pregnant woman. And what is he, what is he saying with this? He's saying it's the, the return of my return is going to come like a thief in the night. What, a thief in the night doesn't announce himself unless he's a really bad thief. He doesn't, he doesn't let you know ahead of time, hey, you know, next Tuesday, I'm, I'm planning to go ahead and, and, and rob you. So, so you know, just stay awake, maybe leave the door open for me. You know, like, no. A thief in the night, the whole point of the illustration is he comes when, when it's unexpected, it's, it's unpredictable when a thief will come to your house. That's what Jesus is saying. The return of, it's unpredictable. You're not going to be able to predict it. And then, why the use of, of labor pains? Well, because labor pains, this isn't necessarily unpredictable. Labor pains aren't predict, unpredictable. You know, if your wife is pregnant, like, the labor pains are coming. That's going to happen. But what they are is sudden and inevitable. <laughs> if your wife's pregnant, labor pains are coming. <laughs> and they usually, they usually surprise you. It's usually like, oh, now? This is now? I remember the first, our oldest, um, was, I think, eight days early. Uh, so that, I actually had my college, <laughs> the terrible thing. We lived in this small apartment. I had my college roommate visiting for the weekend, you know, and we're hanging out late at night. It's like 1130 at night. And Lynn comes out and goes, I think we got to go to the hospital now. And I'm like, my first thought was, well, this is really bad timing, Lynn. <laughs> you know, John's here. We're hanging you know. I mean, I quickly, I didn't say that out loud, by the way. I just, I thought, okay, let's go. You know, and I'm like, hey, sorry, John. Sorry, we can't hang out. This is, Jesus is saying, my return will be sudden and it's inevitable. It's going to happen. I am coming back. But it will be unpredictable. So the timing, what's the timing? We don't know. We don't know. Well, who? Who's going to be caught up to be with Christ? Who's going to welcome the, second, uh, the return of Jesus? Very fascinating here in verse 4 through 8 that what Paul starts with and focuses on is identity, not activity. Paul doesn't start with, hey, this is what you need to be doing. This is what you need to be doing in order to be God's people and, and, and welcome the return of Christ. No, he makes, in fact, they're asking, when's this going to happen? And he spends most of his time saying, this is who you are. You're children of the light. You're children of the day. You know, you'll notice that Usually when I do the, the discussion questions for you, that I put them in categories of knowing, being, and doing. A lot of times, as followers of Jesus, we forget about that being part. We, we go from the knowing to the doing. 
That's our instinct. I'm, I'm going to learn some scripture. I'm going to take some action. Learning scripture is very important. That's, that's valuable. We've got to do that. The knowing is really important. And taking action, responding, that is really important. But you see, brothers, if you just have the knowing and the doing, you just have legalism or moralism. Because you and I are not capable of just looking at Scripture on our own power and then doing it on our own power. There has to be a being. There has to be something that God has made us. He's come and His Spirit dwells in us. That we, we are only empowered in, to any doing by the fact that He has adopted us as His sons and He is, he is giving us the strength He is making us children of the light, children of the day. It's only because He's opened our eyes. It's only because He's regenerated our hearts that we have any ability for the doing. And so that being is so important because it's also a place of of rest. See, if you're just knowing and doing, you're going to find yourself just burdened with guilt. We're about to celebrate... Uh, the, the Reformation. And you see, that was Martin Luther's problem. He had, he had the knowing and he had the doing and he was overwhelmed with guilt and frustrated and angry at the church and at God because he's like, I'm trying. I'm seeing this stuff in Scripture and I'm trying to do this stuff. In fact, when he first read um, in, in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, that the righteousness of God has been revealed in his head, in his knowing and doing, what he thought is, oh, this is God revealing how righteous he is and how unrighteous I am, and it just means I have more work to do. And he, and, and he, was, over, he just was burdened by that. That's what happens when there's knowing and doing. But then when he realized, oh, this is the righteousness that God is going to, he's revealing a righteousness that he's going to place on me. That he's going to, impute righteousness to me through Christ so that I'm going to be made his own. That I'm going to be made righteous, not by what I do, but by who I am in Christ. The being is so important. And Paul emphasizes this. And he makes makes that clear even by a couple of phrases he uses there. First of all, in verse 4, he says, but you are not in darkness, brothers. He references, you're part of the family of God. That's who you are. And this is a a generic um, term here, so it could be brothers or sisters. You are part of the family of God. That's who you are. And then he goes on to say to them, you are all children of the light. You are all children of the... He doesn't say you are becoming children of the light. You are becoming children of the day. Hey, work hard to be children of the light. Work hard to be children of the day. He says you are. This is who you are. This is your identity. Turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, excuse me. Uh, yeah, chapter, yeah, chapter 5. And see this as Paul talks this out. Ephesians chapter 5. And I'm going to begin reading in verse uh, 6. So he's talking about what they, what they used to be. He says, be imitators of God as beloved children and and put away sexual immorality and impurity. And then Ephesians 5, verse 6, he says this, let no one deceive you with empty words. Because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at what time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. 
For the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful to even speak of things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Notice in the middle of that, he says, verse 8, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. When Christ comes into your life, brothers, you are his sons. You are brothers. You are children of the light, sons of the light. You are sons of the day. And Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 is making that point that this is their security. It's what George talked about last week. Your security at the return of Christ is who you are, not what you do. What a beautiful thing. It's your identity. Now he goes on from that place. And in verse 6, notice he says, So then, so then, because you are children of the day, because you are children of the light, So then, now because of who you are, just like what he said in Ephesians, you're children of the light, walk as children of the light. You're in the light, walk as children of the light. So then, this is what you are to do. Three things he gives us here. First of all, he says, be watchful, or be, it says there uh, in verse, since we belong, verse 8, since we belong to the day, let us be sober. That means, uh, excuse me, before that, verse 6. So let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. Those are the two things, keep awake and be sober. And those words mean this. First of all, keep awake, be watchful. Be watchful. What does he mean by that? What does he mean by be watchful? He means notice what's taking place in the world and read everything through that filter. Now, this doesn't mean we look at you know, Putin and go, I think he's the bear of Revelation. And, you know, it, but it does mean this, that we're always looking at the events of history and we're reading them through the return of Christ and through our Bibles. That we're being watchful, that we're paying attention, that we're understanding that, there, that these events aren't random, that, that God hasn't lost control of the world, but that God is teaching us something. God is doing something. Do we always know what that is? Will we even know before we get to heaven? No, some of that stuff we won't completely understand. But God's word tells us because we're children of the day, because we're children of the light, let's be watchful. Let's pay attention to what's going on and understand it. Let's have that kind of a a mindset. And then he says, be sober. Sober here would just mean self-controlled. The the contrast between drunk and sober, he's not just saying, hey, don't drink too much. Um, He is saying don't drink too much, but it's more than that. It's not about just being drunk and sober. He's saying, don't be someone who's out of control like somebody who's intoxicated, but be someone who is in control who is self-controlled in all things, self-controlled in whatever, whatever our propensity to sin and temptation is, that we wouldn't give ourselves to being drunk on that sin, to being unconcerned about that. But instead, because we are children of the day, children of the light, let's, let's be self-controlled about these things. And then, in verse 8, third thing, so watchful, self-controlled, 
And then he says in verse 8, basically, be armed for spiritual warfare. Be armed for spiritual warfare. Paul, as you know, he loves a good military analogy. Like he, he, he loves to talk about warfare. He loves to talk about armor. And here he's doing it again. He says, you want to put on the breastplate uh, and you want to put on uh, the helmet. And, he's, and he's, one, he, he's, he's trying to impress upon the Thessalonians, I want you to be armed for the battle. I want you to be ready for the battle. And it's interesting that he uses those two pieces of armor. They do two things. They refer to two things. I want you to put on the breastplate because it covers the heart. That's why soldiers wore a breastplate. I want you to put on a helmet because it protects the head. It protects your mind. So Paul is saying, listen, brothers, be armed by protecting your heart and by protecting your mind. That's, if you're a children, child of the day, if you're a as you are a child of the day, as you are a, a child of light, protect your heart, protect your mind. And brothers, I, th I think this, I thought to myself, I could probably spend 30 minutes on this alone. Um, constantly, your heart and my heart are susceptible to be taken by other loves. Constantly. Other affections, other temptation grabbing for our affections constantly. Some of those things, and often those things, are, are deceptive because they're not necessarily bad. Right? To have, for instance, a, a love for your family, a deep affection for your family, it's, it's not a bad thing. But when, you're, when our affections for our family supersede our affections for Christ or affections for his, his mission and his calling. See, that's, that's Satan's scheme to get in there and to, to draw us towards that. Think about that in, in light of the return of Christ, for instance. I used to, I used to sometimes struggle, I, less and less, I think as the Lord is working his sanctifying work in me. I used to think, well, I, I long for Christ to return. And then I had kids. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, I'd like, to, I'd like to see them, you know, graduate from high school, you know. Or now I'd like, I'd like, to, I'd, I wanna, I'd like to walk my daughter down the aisle. That, that is Satan working in me a misunderstanding of, of how great it is for Christ's return, how great it is to be in the presence of the Lord. When my affection for my daughter, which is good and right, but when it, it supersedes my affection for my Savior, that is Satan getting a foothold in my heart. Paul is saying, guard your heart. Make sure your affections are not being stolen by lesser things. And then he says, put on the helmet, guard your mind. And again, brothers, at this point, at least in my lifetime, I think in your lifetime as well, in, in the culture in which we live, I don't know if there's ever been a time when, when, when more of us who are followers of Jesus are losing our minds at times. We're being drawn away by, by so many different thoughts and ideas, and a lot of them are just unscriptural. We're just not... We're not, we're not we're not thinking along biblical lines. I was really struck 
by this thought just this past Sunday night when Barton preached out of James chapter 3. And uh, this verse hit me, chapter 3, verse 17. This verse hit me in ways that it never has before. And I've read it lots of times, talking about godly wisdom. And it says, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And it hit me that in the arguments that have taken place in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ all over our country, there are many of us at different times who have acted as if we were bringing godly wisdom to a situation, but we have not done so in this category. We have not been peaceable about it. We have not been gentle about it. We have not been open to reason. We have not been impartial. And yet we've, we've said, oh, I'm, I'm, this, is, this is what God wants. And again, I, I, I just say, I, I think what has taken place is that Satan has gotten a foothold in different places using media and logarithms, uh, algorithms excuse me, on social media to put us in echo chambers um, that are not helping us scripturally. Paul says here in Thessalonians, protect your mind. As you wait for the Lord to return, guard your mind. Don't lose your mind, but bring it back under uh, scriptural understanding of what it means that we are children of the day, children of uh, the light. And then notice that, that this, this breastplate and this helmet bring back this triad that we see over and over again, faith, hope, and love, that we see over and over. We see it in, the, we see it in chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians. We see it in other places with Paul. He's constantly talking to him about faith, hope, and love. And it is interesting, isn't it, that we guard our hearts with faith and love, love for Christ, Christ's love for us. That's the relationship that we guard our hearts in. And that we guard our heads, we guard our minds with the hope of salvation, the surety that Christ is going to return. So we're constantly again thinking through the filter of this is Christ's world. He's coming back. What is it that he wants me to do? That's the filter through which I'm looking at these things. And so, brothers, the answer that Paul gives about the return of Christ and, and when is it going to happen, it's this. And I'm borrowing this from my, my favorite preacher, Alistair Begg who says this isn't about earthly chronology, but this is about biblical theology. <laughs> the return of Christ is not, the question is not to be answered with earthly chronology, but with biblical theology. And then we move on to verses 9 and 10. How? How is it that those of us who are children of the day, how is it that we can stand? You know what? There's a, there's a decent chance that if I'm alive when Christ returned, because I'm a sinner, there's a decent chance that I might be in the act of sin when he returns. How is it? How is it that I can be a child of the day, a child of the light? How is it that that could possibly be secure for you? It's right there in verses 9 and 10. Amazing verses. Ones that we see similar all over. Just a, a, a clear description of the gospel. The, the death of Liza Fletcher just a few weeks ago um, was tough on a lot of us. 
Um, it, was very, it was very tough on me. Um, she was in the youth group when I was a youth pastor here. I knew her well. Um, saw her uh, grow up. I knew, the, I knew the season at which she came to know Christ um, as a freshman over at the University of Memphis. Actually, <laughs> the reason I know the story behind it is because I kept seeing her in the halls here. And when she was in high school, she rarely came to church. But when she's a freshman in college, I'd see her on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday nights. It's odd to see a freshman in college that often at church, right? So I just asked her. I said, hey, it's great to have, what's going on? She told me the story. And in her simple faith, the person that led her to Christ told her that she needed to be at church because that's what, that's what Christians do and that's how they grow. So she just did it. <laughs> she just came all the time. So it was very hard for me. I, I was um, also involved in the, in the marriage counseling with, with Richie and Liza. And there was a point on the Tuesday after we had found out um, that she had died, gone to be with the Lord. Um, very early in the morning, I remember uh, just outside. I went outside because I was so angry and sad all at the same time, weeping and angry um, and deeply grieved by all that. But think about what we studied last week with George, the verse that says those Christians, we Christians, we grieve, but we don't grieve with, as those who do not have hope. We are those who, who are able to grieve, but we grieve in the context of hope. How in the world was I, even on that Tuesday morning, having to go outside so I wouldn't wake up my wife. How could I be grieving so deeply and yet truly have hope? How can that possibly be? Because of these verses, brothers. Because of verses 9 and 10. Because I knew that her security was in Christ. Because I know that my mom's security was in Christ. Because those who are my brothers and sisters in the faith who go to, that, that, that pass away, it's sad, they're pulled from us. But I know their security is in Christ, not because of what they do, not as George said last week, not because of justification by death, right? The southern, the southern uh, great temptation in the south, no matter how you live, no matter how you live, even if you proclaim yourself not to be a Christian, when you die in the south, we just want to make them Christians, right? At the funeral. Say that somehow they were good or they went to church a lot or what? No, that's not our security. Security is these verses. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us so that whether we awake or asleep, whether we're alive or we've already passed away, we might live with Him. There is a wrath. And we can't miss that. There is a righteous wrath that God has against sinners. We are sinners. We are not just broken. Man, those words have gotten messed up in, in recent years. We're afraid to say the word sin, so we just say brokenness. I mean, we are broken, but it's more than broken. It's not passive. We sin. We are sinners. We are sons of disobedience before we come to know Christ. You see, if we just make it about brokenness, then, then the salvation doesn't mean much. If we just make it about brokenness or mistakes or didn't really know what to do, then the grace isn't as amazing as it really is. You see, 
Brothers, we were sons of disobedience. We were shaking our fists at God saying, I want nothing to do with you. And he saved us by the death of Christ and made us his own. And that security, that security alone, brothers, has got to inform our living and our dying. That has to be put, that's our hope, right? That's what's in our mind. That has to inform everything we do, everything you do today has to be informed by the security that you and I have in Jesus Christ, by the salvation that we've been granted. So what now? What now? Our final point there. What now? Notice verse 11. It says, therefore, because of everything I said, he says, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up. Two things, two things that are a ministry for us as we wait for Jesus Christ. This is your ministry, brothers, that you would Give courage to each other and that you would build up. This is your ministry at Amen. This is why it's so great that you guys sit at these tables, that you greet each other, that you encourage each other, that you're pre- you realize your presence here is an encouragement to the brother sitting next to you. You realize that when you're not here, it's a little discouraging to the brother who's sitting next to you. That your presence here gives courage to the other men in this room. If there were only five men who showed up here, they might encourage each other. But the fact that there's over 100 men here gives courage to the other men in here to walk with Jesus today, to be secure in their, their faith. That's your, that's your ministry in, the, in, in Amen. Brothers, that's your ministry in the church, whatever church you go to. Your ministry, and you have a ministry, is to give courage to other brothers and sisters and to build them up in the faith. And every single one of you in here, if you're a follower of Christ, that is the ministry that you've been given. And you think, well, well yeah, but that, that's why we have pastors. That's what, no, 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 don't, 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 let's not confuse our roles here. If you turn back to Ephesians chapter 4, Paul makes it clear what the roles are in the church because he's saying here all of them are to be encouragers and, and uh, building each other up. Verse 11 of chapter 4 of Ephesians, he says, And he, that's God, and God gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Why? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. That's a beautiful thing. We have some great pastors in this church. Um, I I see a couple of them right here. Um, I see Philip. I see Brett. These guys are great guys. They have their high capacity for giving courage and building up. But at their high capacity, they're able to probably do that with maybe, maybe 20 or 30 men. At their very best. Don Riley, great discipler of men. High capacity. High capacity as a pastor. Even with his high capacity, he... He probably maxes out at any given time of 30 men at one time. That's, that, is, that takes a lot. There are way more than 30 men in this room. <laughs> There's way more than 30 men in your churches and in these cities, in this city. So the ministry is for all of us, all of us building up and giving courage. We have to take on that ministry together, brothers. But let me close with this. I want to take you to one more place in Scripture. It's one of my favorite things about Amen. I can make you turn your Bibles. Sunday morning, sometimes people just won't go to other places. So thankfully, I hear you guys are flipping your pages, and at least you have your Bibles in front of you. One more place to close our time. Acts chapter 1. 
Acts chapter 1. This is ascension of Christ, verse 6. The disciples here with Jesus. Jesus has died a sacrificial death on a cross. He's risen again. He's about to ascend. Look what happens here. Verse 6. So when they had come together, the disciples asked Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They're still asking the question. They asked the question before. Jesus told them, I don't know the times. The angels don't know the times. We don't know the times. And here they are again. Hey, what about the times? Like, when's it going to happen? He said to them, Jesus said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the season that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up in a cloud and took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven... As he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, those are angels, and they said to them, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way you saw him go into heaven. You get what's happening here? Jesus says, listen, it's not for you to know the times, but you're going to receive power and you're going to be my witnesses here where you live in Jerusalem and in the surrounding area and in Samaria, the people you don't like, you're going to be your witnesses to them and to the ends of the earth. Then he, ascend, then he goes up into heaven. And this is what they're doing. And the angels are there like, why are you guys staring up into heaven? This Jesus is coming back and he gave you something to do. He said, you will be my witnesses. Go do it. Don't stand here and stare up into heaven. But knowing that he's coming back and knowing that you have a mission, don't stand there and stare. Go to it. Brothers, I'd say that to all of us this morning. Let's let's get at it. Christ is coming. Christ's return is imminent. It's near. It will happen suddenly. He's given us a mission. Let's get after it. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for the beauty and the truth of your word. We pray that you'd sink these things deep into our hearts. Father, we want to be men who, uh, who put on the armor of God, who are, who are dressed for battle. Lord, protect our minds, please. May we have the godly wisdom described in, in James chapter 3, verse 17. May that be the wisdom that we seek and that we give to each other. Father, protect our hearts with with love and with faith, faith in you, a a security in in what you've given us in Christ, and and secure in your love. Guard our hearts by your love and our affections that are a response to that love. And Lord, in doing this, may we walk from this room on a mission. These men, these most important men in the city of Memphis, not because they're anything special, but because they're yours, because they're sons of the light, sons of the day. May we walk out of here and get after your mission. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.